You often hear me ask guests, what have you changed your mind on? That's because it's important for all of us to be able to discover new information and experiences and sometimes decide that our prior assumptions weren't serving us anymore. On this episode, when you discover something isn't working, how to change the way you think. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 592. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the things that affects so much of how we show up as leaders and how we influence our organizations is our beliefs, our thinking. And sometimes we recognize those beliefs and a lot of times we don't. Today, a conversation about how to recognize our beliefs and maybe just a little bit change our thinking in a way that's going to be helpful, not only to us, but of course, to the people we influence and to the organization. I'm so glad to welcome today's guest, Ari Weinswig. He, in 1982, along with his partner, Paul Saginaw, founded Zigerman's Delicatessen with a $20,000 bank loan, a Russian history degree from the University of Michigan, four years of experience washing dishes, cooking, and managing restaurant kitchens, and chutzpah from his hometown of Chicago. Today, Zigerman's Delicatessen is a nationally renowned food icon, and the Zigerman's community of businesses has grown to 10 businesses with over 700 150 employees and over 55 million in annual revenue. Besides being the co-founding partner and actively engaged in almost every aspect of day-to-day operations and governance in the Zigerman's community of businesses, Ari is also a prolific writer. His most recent publications are the first four of his six-book series, Zigerman's Guide to Good Leading, including A Lapsed Anarchist's Approach to the Power of Beliefs in Business. Ari regularly travels across the country and world on behalf of Zingtrain, teaching organizations and businesses about Zingerman's approach to business. He's a sought-after keynote speaker, and in addition, one of their guiding principles is being an active part of the community, and they were influential in the founding of Food Gatherers, a food rescue program that delivers over 5 million pounds of food every year. Each year, Zingerman's donates 10% of its previous year's profits to local community organizations and nonprofits. Ari, what a pleasure to meet you, and thank you so much for the incredible work you've been doing. Well, I'm honored. It's uh, When you read it all like that, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know. you know what? Everybody listening has done a lot, too, so we're, we're all in it together, and I'm honored to be on with you. Well, I'm thinking about your bio and all the accomplishments you've had, and you've changed some of your beliefs along the way. And uh, a lot of the work you have done for leaders is thinking about beliefs. And as I was reading through the book, this passage really struck home with me. You write, while everyone has some beliefs that they're conscious of, politics, religion, sports, popular social issues, we actually have far, far more beliefs at play in our lives than that. The difficulty is that those beliefs are frequently framed as facts, certitudes, thoughts, theories, norms, shoulds, and should-nots. Most of us fail to recognize them for the beliefs that they are. They're down there in the dirt below the surface, sitting solidly in our subconscious minds. Many are so far below our levels of consciousness that we never even realize we have them. Whether we know it or not, 
Our beliefs are almost always calling the shots. I read that and I was thinking about how much uh, good you've done in your work and in the community and in supporting so many leaders. How do the beliefs of leaders affect how they show up for others and for their organizations? Well, they show up all day, every day. I mean, you know, having written on business leadership, written on food, taught, had a, we have Zing Train, as you mentioned, our training business. I mean, I had done all this for whatever, 20 something years. And I, I really had never thought about beliefs. And, you know, clearly I know like everybody, the, the word, I'm familiar with the, the concept, but I really had no clue at all. I guess you could say my beliefs about beliefs were very shallow and and limited. And I was reading Bob and Judith Wright's book, Transform, and they had this little cycle in there, which is reproduced in my book, and I learned it from them. It kind of blew my mind because it, it gave me insight at the time into some organizational issues that I had gotten really frustrated with. I couldn't figure out what, what the problem was. Uh, I was using all the various techniques that we aren't really going to talk a lot about today, but none of it was really working. And when I saw this self-fulfilling cycle, it blew my mind because I was like, that's the problem. The people on the work group say they're on board, but they don't really believe in the work. And it's not neurosurgery. When you don't believe in what you're doing, the quality of your work will clearly be lower. I mean, it's true in basketball. It's true in music. It's true in anything, right? In the classroom, if the kid hates the class, they're not going to do well, you know, and it doesn't make them stupid. It just means they're not going to engage with the material. But because it's self-fulfilling, let's say a, a kid like me doesn't like a particular subject. So what what act we believe it's a waste of time. We believe we're bad in it. We believe the teacher's bad, whatever. What will we do when we get to the class? We won't do much. <laughs> we won't do much homework. We won't study which will just end up reinforcing the teacher's belief that we're not a great student. The teacher then treats us probably not that great distances from us. And we, the cycle just goes on and on and on. So once I saw this cycle, I started to realize, uh, as you said in that quote, I mean, I, I have tons of beliefs. Uh, we all have them and it's everything from beliefs about work, beliefs about human beings, beliefs about our significant others, beliefs about how much work is too much work, we have beliefs about days of the week and work or times of the day and work. And all of these beliefs are manifesting in the organization. So uh, just as a super concrete one, that's quite uh, common, unfortunately, out in the world, I would suggest is the belief that young people have a bad work ethic. I don't find it at all. But, you know, as I've been saying, it's a self-fulfilling cycle, right? So it happens all day long. If the CEO, the boss, whoever, manager believes that the 17 year old they've hired is likely to do bad work likely to not care likely to be apathetic or cynical how will the manager treat the employee poorly <laughs> i'm really struck by what you said in that we can sort of go through the process of doing all the quote unquote right things visioning giving feedback coaching all the things that so many of us try to do well and yet if the underlying belief is contrary to that and isn't calibrated with that, that ultimately those tactical things that we're doing are not likely to move the needle very much. And you know what you just said reminded me of, uh, you quote Martin Seligman in the book, and who says, one of the most significant findings in modern psychology in the last 20 years is that individuals can choose the way they think. 
And I was thinking about that in the context of some of the things you've written about in how you think about business, how you think about writing. You've changed your beliefs on that significantly uh, over the course of your career. And I think the good news for us is that we can absolutely change our beliefs, can't we? 100%. So this was, again, I had no cognizance of this whatsoever. And I, as I started to study, then I started to realize, you know, what in hindsight is incredibly obvious, which is that beliefs are not genetic. We are subtly, subconsciously led, I believe, to believe that they're genetic. It, we say things like, it's just the way I am. It's just the way she is. It's just the way they are, or they're a natural. But the reality is we've learned all these beliefs and we we learn them from people we trust, right? So when we're young people, infants, we're learning them from our parents, from our families. As we get older, we start to learn them from whatever we look at, video games, fairy tales, the media, athletes we admire, musicians we admire, teachers that have an impact us on us, our local minister. I mean, wherever you go that you trust the person who's talking to you or who's writing that you're reading, et cetera, or, or whose podcast, in this case, you're listening to, you, you, your beliefs are being impacted. And, you know, by the time we're 15 or 20, the root system, remember back to the quote you read, the root system is really down in the ground. Yeah, indeed. And so much of your writing gives me so much hope that if we decide that a belief or thinking isn't working for us and we're able to identify that, that there's a lot we can do to shift that in some really wonderful ways. And I, I know, given the work you do, you think a lot in the, uh, in the lens of recipes and, uh, and how to put things together. And one of my favorite things in the book is a bit of a recipe for how to change our thinking, maybe how to adjust mm-hmm. our beliefs a bit. And step one is identifying the issue. And the invitation you make when approaching this is to start by picking a problem that you're facing mm-hmm. right now. What's an example of a problem that might come up for a leader or you've seen come up for a leader that perhaps they could change their belief on? Well, we all we all have them. I doubt there's anybody listening that doesn't have a plethora of issues that they're challenged by because the nature of existence is that we're always challenged. It could easily be a coworker we're not getting along with. It could be a product that we're frustrated with the way the sales are going. It could be a client, a customer, a, a vendor who we're challenged by. It could be how we feel about working Sundays, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it really can be anything. And by the way, to state the almost obvious, this is 100% applicable out of work too. So I certainly have had people after reading this or coming to to classes that we've taught on it, talk about how it helped them. They realized that the frustration they were having with their teenager was directly tied to this. And I can tell a story about that. The very first time I taught it was at Zinc Train, our training business on a Wednesday morning. And I did the class and I got an email from a woman a couple of days later. And she just wrote a, you know, beautiful thank you note saying how much it had impacted her and how much it had helped. And she said, my daughter's in high school. She's not doing well in school. Every day for the last whatever year change, I pick her up from school and I ask how it's going. And within five to 10 minutes, we're in a big argument because she's not doing well. And I'm very 
frustrated. And I said, well, how did the class help you? She goes, well, I realized that in my family, grades are really important. Like we have the belief that your self-worth is tied to your grades. Uh, and I said, so, so what happened? She said, well, I realized that my relationship with my daughter is more important than grades. Yeah. And I changed my belief and I, you know, I can barely tell the story now, even years later without crying. Uh, I, I said, what happened? She goes, I changed my belief. And, and within a week, the fight stopped, which I can almost guarantee you going forward that the daughter's grades got better. Yeah. <laughs> because... Because instead of exerting all this negative energy, fighting over grades, it became a relationship between mother and daughter that was supportive and that recognized that grades matter, but they were hardly the most important thing in the world. And that her the mother realizing the relationship with the daughter would go for many decades long after school was over. And uh, I mean, it's an incredibly powerful example of something incredibly simple but literally we're simply changing the belief from grades are absolutely essential to your human value to grades matter, but they're far less important than the quality of how I get along with you and our connection as mother and daughter. Huge. Wow. Yeah. And, and how cool that she got there so quickly in just a couple of days. Um, because I, my sense is thinking of my own experience and for, other leaders I've worked with that sometimes getting down to the belief takes some time. And, yep. and in fact, that's part of the recipe of backtracking. Once you know the problem and you've identified it, like what's the, what's, how do you backtrack to the belief? In fact, you write in this part of the book, we project the parts of ourselves we're least comfortable with, both the desired and undesired onto others. When others embody parts of ourselves that we don't like and have repressed, we tend to get angry or alternatively, when others live out the dreams, we don't dare let ourselves live. We hold them in high admiration and are drawn towards them. And I, I'm so curious, like, how people get there. Like, when they see that problem, and, and the story you just told, she got there so quickly. For the person who doesn't, they see mm -hmm. the problem, they see the, the challenge, they see it in the other person, maybe. Mm -hmm. And yet they don't see it yet in themselves. What's helpful in the backtracking to actually start to illuminate that a bit? Well, what I would suggest is to really do the backtracking in a mindful way. They have to have identified that something's bothering them. We all have things that bother us. We oftentimes simply out of habit or training or upbringing just revert into a rant. And it might be a rant in our head. It might be a rant at ourselves. But we just quickly start spinning you know this person is a jerk i can't believe this is happening again or it could be self-critical i can't believe i did this again i'm no good i'm a loser whatever but if we're just doing the pattern but we're not cognizant that it's problematic then it's the sad reality is it's not going to change this has become more common knowledge around substance abuse i mean the common phrase of people need to hit the wall mm. um and and then also there's times in our lives on particular days, particular weeks, particular things happen that we're more open to recognizing something that's been going on for a long time. So in a good way, this woman is an example. I mean, I don't even know her, but she came to that class. So she already had made a conscious choice. She was interested in the subject. My style of teaching and hopefully writing is to 
in a good way, make people ask questions and in a, in a kind, gentle way, I, I guess, to challenge things, but never in a judgmental way or a confrontational way. It's if people are happy with the way their lives are going, it's hardly for me to give them a hard time about it, right? But because she came and because the setting brought out self-reflection, I would suggest fairly clearly she was just much more open to this happening, whereas if she hadn't come to the class, if she hadn't been open to learning this self-fulfilling belief cycle, if she hadn't been open to realizing that she was holding these beliefs and that could be changed, it could have kept going for a long time to come. In essence, a belief about the ability to change our beliefs, right? Uh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Because most of the country, me included, most of the world doesn't even realize, I didn't realize it, that we even have that ability, like you said in the introduction. Yeah, indeed. Uh, one of the other invitations that I really love that you make is to start with the shoulds. Tell mm -hmm. me what you mean by that. Well, the, sh the shoulds are essentially beliefs, but we are comfortable with the word should. So every time I, I so Sam Keen, K-E-E-N, whose books are incredible. He's in his early 90s out in Sonoma. I recommend all of his writing. He, I'm paraphrasing the quotes in, in the book, but he, he said the first task of introspection is realizing where we've been programmed by the shoulds and should nots of others. Mm. So again, if if there's a something that we feel like we should and then we reflect on it and we truly want to hold that belief, fabulous. But many times there's things that we react to because we have been taught that we should or shouldn't have to do this, we should do that. Uh, I often use the example of working on Sunday. I don't have kids. I live my girlfriend is a farmer. We're not religious. I'm in the food business. I don't care about working Sunday. It's no different than working Tuesday. Now, I'm not judging people who, for religious reasons, family reasons, whatever, have reasons they don't want to work Sunday. But there's honestly, other than a religious belief, there's nothing inherently any different than Sunday than any of the other days of the week. But if we if we go into if we get scheduled on a Sunday and our whole day is oh my god I shouldn't have to work this is terrible what a drag what a bummer my boss is a jerk it's just creating this very negative situation and where did that come from like nobody's genetically born believing they shouldn't work Sunday yeah and so part of that is like surfacing that belief and uh and and i'm guessing there are folks within your organization who who do really hold that belief and surfacing that understanding that being conscious of that and being able to honor that is so huge um mm -hmm. and the progression of this is as we start to backtrack to what the beliefs may be and we start to surface that awareness is to do some homework and the the ask you make of leaders is to understand how you've arrived where you are. Mm -hmm. What's critical about understanding that? Well, I, I, I've seen even in myself, we can change a belief without understanding where it came from. So it's not impossible, but it's much healthier, much likely more lasting change if we really try to backtrack or dig down and figure out where something came from. So as, I, as as you mentioned, I mean, I've metaphorically started to look at beliefs as the root system of our lives. And if you're 40 and you learn something from your parents at the age of one, you have 39 years of root system growth, right? Which you don't have to be a farmer to figure out is going to be some pretty big roots. So 
oftentimes things that we learned at one point of our life were helpful for certain roles that we were in, but they may no longer be helpful, right? So um, being able to backtrack to the beginning to see where it came from, it's just so helpful. I mean, so whatever that the belief that my that asking for help is a sign of weakness like where did i get it well there's the obvious social norms it certainly uh was portrayed a lot in film or whatever in books that you were the most successful if you were the one who could do it on their own and then also i mean i learned in hindsight i learned a lot from my mother and it's not cutting on her i mean she she my parents got divorced when i was three she single parent raised me and my sister until she remarried my stepfather. I mean, so she she needed that in order to push herself through to get to success. It's just that the problem is 40 years later as a leader, it's not that helpful of belief. Mm. So it's not a criticism of her for practicing it. It's And it's not like she told us not to ask for help. It's just the belief is transferred through implicit behaviors, through side comments or through the way stories are told or whatever. So once I start to realize that asking for help is a good thing, then I can start to actually ask for help, which leads to development for me. It helps the people around me realize that also them asking for help is a good thing. Part of the process that you recommend in doing some of this homework is uh, something you call learning to confront our canons. What does that look like? Well, this is just really, it, it came from, I studied anarchism and it, it comes from Erico Malatesta, who was a Italian anarchist in the early 20th century. And as he said, he said, uh, we must face the cannons to get the corn. So in essence, it just means we need to walk towards where it's uncomfortable a lot of times to get to really the treasure, whatever word you want to use. And so where we feel the most discomfort, I'm not suggesting we tackle it overnight, but there's usually a reason that we feel discomfort. And if we can find a gentle place or a gentle person to do it with where we can start to explore what's bothering us or why we're not at ease around a particular subject, if we can embrace the painful parts of our past and we all have them i mean it's not judgment it's just the reality no none of us are free of that then we can start to see what's really going on and we do understand more about the beliefs that we have and where they came from which you know if you if you again i imagine it as pulling weeds right so if a, if a weed is new it's not hard to pull it generally it, you just you don't doesn't even take any work it's it's barely gotten going but like I said, I mean, if you have a weed, and I've tried to pull some uh, on, on ag in agricultural setting, if you got a weed that's been in there even for a few years, I mean, like I had some one day I was trying to pull some to help somebody in a field. I couldn't, I mean, I'm six foot two. I couldn't even get it out. And this is true with our beliefs too, right? So the more we become cognizant of this, the easier it is to do the work. But in the beginning, it, it can be tough. Yeah, indeed. You also invite us as, as part of this to uh, do something called check the equation. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, there's some beliefs that we might realize aren't great, but it's not really causing a problem. <laughs> and it is work to change a belief. It's, it's not necessarily a life project, but it's not insignificant. And so there's times where the belief is it's not great. It's wrong. We know intellectually it's not correct, mm -hmm. 
but it's not really causing problems. So uh, one example that I've given for a long time is, I don't know, it's like 12 years ago now, I had a bunch of surgeries, not on my knee, but related to my muscular system, et cetera. It doesn't really matter. I'm doing fine now, but it was challenging for a while. And I run every day and I started to have problems around my knee. And I went to different doctors and nobody could figure it out. And I went to whatever the surgeon who told me, I, you know, you're going to have to stop running at some point. And it's like, yeah, I'm very determined. I don't want to stop running. And I started to wear like a knee brace, not a big heavy one, but just like a sleeve on my, on my leg. Right. And it seemed to help a little bit and it wasn't great. But anyway, so I, at first I hated it because it was very uncomfortable, but after a while I got used to it. Right. So about six months, eight months down the road, I went for a massage and actually the massage therapist of all the people who looked at it was who figured it out. And she's like, it's not your knee. It's the muscle that goes all the way down this part of your leg down into your foot. And she worked on it and it got a lot better. Right. Anyway, I've kept wearing the knee brace just really out of security. And after a couple of years, I realized I I don't even, I know I don't need this. (laughs) Uh. It doesn't do anything. I'm fine. But when I take it off, I feel naked when I'm running. And so I just was like, just wear it like whatever. I'm used to it. It's not (laughs) bothering me. It's essentially like a good luck charm. I know it's not doing anything, but it's not causing a problem either. So I just keep putting it on every day when I run. Right. So it's a good example of where, in this case, the equation, when I did the equation, it didn't dictate that I needed to just to change it. I just kept going with it. Conversely, the woman that I told the story about with the daughter, the equation she did was it's far more important for me to do the work to change my belief about grades in the interest of building my relationship with my daughter than it is the other way, Hmm. right? So this is where we're, it's just encouraging all of us, me included, to be conscious of how does the equation work out? I mean, is it like this can happen anywhere, right? Like this, the she should be doing as much work as I am. We're partners. I used to have that, or like my belief with Paul, my partner, right? So whatever, as we were growing and I was taking on some of the work around organizing meetings more and stuff, and he wasn't really that into that. And I kept getting frustrated that he wouldn't do it with me. And and honestly, I went, I was complaining about it in therapy and my therapist goes, well, is he stopping you from doing it? I'm like, no, but we're partners. And so we need to do this together. And He goes, yeah, but is he stopping you? And I'm like, well, no, but I mean, the work needs to be equitable. Like these are all beliefs, right? Yeah. The work needs to be equitable. And we've been partners for 15 years and we need to do this together. Or it's not. And he's like, I know, but is he stopping you from doing it? And I'm like, no, but he goes, goes, well, why don't you just need to do it? So, I mean, it was just a, it's a concrete example of where I, I was stuck in an old belief. It's not evil, but it's. And it's not weird. Like it's the belief that as equal business partners, we would take on the leadership work equally. But of course, it's it's not reality. And there's things that Paul does that I don't do. And there's things that I do that he doesn't do. But it, it was challenging for me to let go of that belief. But it helped me. It helped the organization. And it, my therapist was right. He wasn't stopping me. <laughs> so mm. it was really my own self-limitations that were causing the problem, not him. So much of leadership comes back to ourselves, doesn't it? It's all ourselves because if I changed my beliefs, like if you, like in the in the in the current employment situation, right? So 
if you're short-staffed and you hold that belief that I started our conversation with that millennials have a bad work ethic, it is not helping you to attract millennials to your business. And because they're picking up that energy and and we're leaders who hold that belief are essentially isolating those people from the organization. They're they're paying full price, but getting only a fraction of what those people are capable of. And I, I'll be honest, we have 17 year olds doing incredible work. And I've seen 60 year olds do really bad work. Like I just have never seen any correlation between age and work. So these are problems that we can we have created unconsciously, unintentionally, and they're problems that by changing the belief, I think we can fix. Will changing the belief make all 17-year-olds into great employees? No. But if you hire 10 and six do great instead of one doing great, doesn't that help everybody? And you're helping them lead a better life. You're helping them to have better beliefs about bosses, better beliefs about work, better beliefs about themselves, which is changing society. Yeah, indeed. And you know, when it comes to these new beliefs that we decide to adopt intentionally, mindfully. The point you make is change now, find facts later. And I I think that's interesting because that's contrary to the thinking in a lot of organizations. What's important about changing first, finding the facts second? It's it's contrary to the belief that we have. Yeah. (laughs) So in practice, we all Every human, we filter out the information that does not support our beliefs, and we allow in the information that supports our beliefs. And in fact, many people listening are high achievers. We go find information that will support our beliefs, right? So what this tells you is, if you think it through, is the commonly used saying, which is in essence a belief, I'll believe it when I see it, right? When I teach this, I ask how many people have heard it. Everybody raises their hand. I'll believe it when I see it. But then I point out, okay, I just been teaching you about this filter. What ought it to be? And of course, it's the inverse. If you change your belief, you will see things differently, Mm -hmm. right? So a new employee has been hired. They've asked you to do the training. You believe the guy's a jerk. They never should have hired him. I could tell already he's not going to work out. So that's your belief. What will happen is you will, if he does something wrong, it will just reaffirm your belief that he was no good. Sure. Right. If you believe that shift the belief, like he's going to be great, but of course, learning a new job is hard when he makes exactly the same mistake. It's just like, well, these are normal mistakes that new people make, right? Mm. Because this is the reality that we're all dealing with. And when we change the belief, we will see things differently. So it's actually, I'll see it when I believe it. One of the beliefs you changed is your belief about writing. And uh, you talk about that extensively in the book. And one thing you have done is you write a ton now, all the books and the uh, the email newsletters. And you were very kind to share your email address. And I know you're very... uh, very open to folks reaching out. So I'm going to post that in the episode notes. And also, I'd make the invitation to join in on your your writing. You you send out something, is it every week or every other week? Yeah, it's every it's every week. It's an e-news that comes out on Wednesday afternoon. And yes, it's a lot of work, but I like it. Ari Weinswig is the co-founder of Zingerman's Delicatessen and the author of one of the many books, A Lapsed Anarchist's Approach to the Power of Beliefs in Business. Ari, thank you so much for your work and your leadership. Grateful. Thank you, Dave. It's an honor to be on the show, and uh, I look forward to connecting with folks who are out there and 
certainly there's much more to converse about, but I'm, I'm really happy to uh, hopefully be of help to people. Speaking of changing one's thinking, the folks who are often influencing my thinking on leadership are our Academy members. And one of them, David Barreros, was uh, very kind recently to put me in touch with Ari. David is a CEO of a successful organization. His entire team got together with Ari's team and did some wonderful learning. He came back to me and said, what a great experience. Ari would be a wonderful fit for the show. Thank you so much, David, for that connection. And thanks again, Ari, for your time. Several related episodes, if you found this conversation helpful. One of them is episode 363, The Path of Humble Leadership with Edgar Schein and Peter Schein. I'm thinking about Edgar and Peter because Ari cites them a lot in his writing. They've been an influence in his work. Uh, I've mentioned a couple of those in the episode notes today. Ed Schein has uh, been an influence on so many of us in our thinking about leadership and humility and changing our minds. Episode 363 for a bit more from him and Peter on his thinking. I'd also recommend episode 576, How to Help People Engage in growth. Whitney Johnson was my guest on that episode. We talked about the beginning stages of the growth process and how to begin and engage there. Of course, very much a piece of this conversation as well. If you're looking for some good practical things that you can do for yourself and others, episode 576 is a great starting point for that. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 580, Help People Show Up as Themselves. Frederick Leloux was my guest on that episode, the best-selling author of Reinventing Organizations, a wonderful compliment to this conversation. And of course, helping people to show up as who they are, their real selves, so important in today's organization and giving organizations rather and giving everything that's going on in the world. Episode 580 for some more resources there. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't yet, I'm inviting you today to set up your free membership. It's going to give you access to all of the benefits inside free membership. My interview notes, my book notes, our member casts, my own personal library with all the links that I find that I pass along in the weekly guides each week. The weekly guides, of course, and and plus, access to the entire listening library since 2011, searchable by topic. This episode's going to be filed under personal leadership. I've had many other conversations over the years related to personal leadership that you can find in there. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and you will be off and running with us in just a few moments. Next week, I am glad to welcome our resident storytelling expert, David Hutchins, back to the show. We all know that we need good stories to share and to influence and that leaders are storytellers. But a common challenge I hear is how do I find and collect those stories? David's going to be joining me to show us how to start finding useful stories that we can use inside our organization. Have a great week and I'll see you back on Monday with David.